So is this episode three though? Yeah. Or is it episode? It's episode two? three. Or should we episode two be like a director's cut? Because we called it a director's cut. Yeah, but we're still going to go out. Oh, as that well. was just banter. That was just fucking freestyling shit. Well, we're going to watch in the box. What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? Tristan, what's in the box this week? What's in the fucking box? What's I don't know. I've literally no idea. You sequels. Sequels. This is episode three, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the third episode. So technically, this is the second sequel to the first episode. The original What's in the Box. Do episodes count as sequels? That's a really good point. Do they? Let's talk about that. <laughs> On this week's What's in the Box! What's in the fucking box? Okay, mate. How's your week been? It's fine so far. Oh, yeah? Prove it. I can't. I woke up about five minutes ago. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Did you see the new Deadpool 2 trailer? No, I've missed it totally. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Is it, though? Yeah, it's all right, mate. See, it just went from amazing to all right. Yeah, well, you have to say it's amazing, though, because it's Deadpool and everyone loves Deadpool, so you have to say, oh, my God, it's amazing. Did you not like Deadpool? Uh, no, it's my least favourite. Really? Out of all the, yeah. Um, why not? It's a solid 3.8 out of 5. Standard Marvel. Uh, yeah. I, no, I, I, two. He was just, it just wasn't for me. What was it? The, hum- I got, the humor It was just too Reynolds. much. It was just too much humor. No, I could get away with stare at Reynolds' crotch as much as the next person. Yeah. Um, but one of the most amazing sequences they'd used in the kind of, was that, that test footage block that got yeah, released yeah. way, way before the movie anyway. Um, and no, it just didn't, didn't do anything for me. I thought it was all right. Hang on. Now it's gone from amazing to okay to all right. Yeah, no, it was uh, no, literally like. But I it's, thought, all, it's not the best thing in the world, is it? One of the main points in the news this week has been uh, the early bitch slappings that Justice League is getting. You're going to go and see it? Can't be bothered to watch that film, mate. Did you watch um, Batman vs Superman? Yes. Fuck that. <laughs> Honestly, that was shit. More of that isn't isn't. You don't. <sighs> did want you watch that? that? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was uh, and Man of Steel as well. Man of yeah. What a waste of time. Because, okay, the, the problem with Schneider is he doesn't know the difference between plot and story. Yeah. So a plot would be a woman kisses her husband, like, goodbye at home in the morning. Uh, she goes off to work. As on her way there, she realizes she's forgot her keys, so she goes back and finds her husband in bed with another woman. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's the plot. Those are the steps that happen. But mm-hmm. the story is about how your life can change in a single second. Yeah. Okay. And Snyder hasn't got that. No. Thing he's really his framing's beautiful. Yeah, he's, he's, he he can knows shoot a film though, can't he? But there's no character behind behind yeah. anything. No, and if, not. You know, you only have to look at sucker punch to to tap out. <laughs> so great to see how because that's what he wrote that didn't he? If I remember rightly. Uh, so probably, um, yeah, I think he did. The film's getting bitch slapped a lot, and not in the ways I was expecting. There's a sexism one that's going on at the moment, and which. <laughs> Just seen in the Independent, a side-by-side comparisons of the warriors from Wonder Woman, yeah, and the same warriors now in Justice League, and so you've got a difference, haven't you? Between is it uh, basically directed by a woman, directed by a man? The one directed by a man, the women are wearing no clothes. Yeah, and the like argument bikini, is like leather bikinis. Yeah, and the argument is well, the, armor. well, this is their armor. It's like really because they were armored up beforehand, yeah. and this doesn't. How does this armor that doesn't cover anything protect them in any way? And yeah. it's just, I mean, the women's physiques are incredible. They look yeah, they like are. warriors, but it's yes, just they are. it's that comic book 
woman hero they're so unnecessarily scantily clad and it's like dc just taking a fucking humongous step back mm. but on i thought whedon was supposed to come in and write this ship yeah right to the film yeah but we don't know what he was involved i don't think he walked in and said yeah everything's great let's reach they're wearing too many clothes let's go back and strip this off yeah you know right. he was there to way after principal photography isn't it yeah he yeah, was yeah. there for what 25 million dollars worth of reshoots which sounds like a lot and it's not to be fair, you know you can look film. at how look at how it's testing, yeah, and like ten percent of the film basically. And they wanted to get if it's Whedon, I imagine they wanted to get a little bit more humor inside it, which I guess changes nothing. Like going over a script and adding in like either slapstick moments or like funny quips changes nothing. It does it alters the value in no way whatsoever. It might kind of um, paper over a few cracks and slightly change the tone. I knew this film would be like of the same kind of value as those previous DC movies that nearly killed me, especially Batman versus Superman, which was which was gibberish, you know, and and it had like this fucking cave troll from Lord of the Rings in it at the end. What was that? What was that? That was Doomsday. That was. It wasn't though, was it? It didn't look like Doomsday. It didn't look anything like him. Anyway, it's been reviewed. It has. I've started reading badly. S- yeah, uh, but there's there's some people that are saying that um, Gal Gal Gadot steals the show. It doesn't surprise me at all. Good. Um, and that Ezra Miller's really good to watch as the Flash. Yeah. So I'm. Thing is, I want to see it. I don't want to have to pay to go and see it because then they might think I liked it and make another one. Have you seen any of the Flash TV show? No, I is haven't. Is that a different? Actually. Is that a different actor? Sadly, yeah. Ooh. Not sadly because of Ezra Miller, but it wouldn't. How nice would it be if they'd done the same thing as Marvel do and actually continued it? I know. Why have they done that? See, know. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing, do they? Oh shit! I saw a clip of the bad guy in it. Oh, Steppenwolf. <sighs> really shit CGI. False like. Well, the whole cap. trailer just looks so rammed yeah. full of CGI that I don't know what to care it's, about. It's like they've lifted the CGI face from that bad guy out of the Hobbit films. You know, like a tree trunk for an arm. That white orc thing. Why did they make him CGI and all, by the way? It's the same, like, like fat-lipped, sort of, like, chiseled jawed face with, like, blue eyes or red eyes because he's on fire or whatever. Um, I'm talking largely utter shit at the moment, but um, they have the same weird, basic, like, CGI template face. And it's, um, it's CGI baddie number four. All right, so last episode we were chatting about Star Wars, weren't we? Inevitably. Shit, what's what's Last Jedi? A, a sequel. S- no, it's a prequel. How a is sequel? it a prequel? It's a sequel. Is that the furthest ahead in that yeah. narrative? That is that like the like the most contemporary the, Star Wars film? It's the latest, the latest film version of the Skywalker saga. Right. So everything before that is a prequel, and they're all sequels of A New Hope, right? Yes starting to melt (laughs) (laughs) just then so today we're going to talk about prequels and sequels and we're going to rank our favorite prequels and favorite sequels or rather we're just going to talk about sequels and prequels and rank them from best to worst or just pick up some good ones and then talk about some shit ones 
Which one do you want to start with, Tristan? Ah, um, I actually had to because I thought we were doing. Um, I thought we were just doing prequels, not sequels. Uh-huh. Um, so I had to do a little bit of reading beforehand, and I'm glad I did because otherwise I'd have been on air saying that George Lucas was responsible for the prequel, which is not true at all. There were prequels in film way before he came along. Although I would say that he's responsible for it being a recent cinema. I nearly said genre, but it's not. It's just the, f- the fact it's either a prequel or a sequel, the fact that they actually exist. Yeah. Um, and you were saying earlier that all prequels are essentially sequels because they expand on the original in some way, yeah, yeah, which is are. often by adding backstory. Yeah. Um, what makes a bad prequel, do you think? What makes a bad prequel? Yeah. Well, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who makes a bad prequel. No. Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a shite prequel, mate. But actually, that's, that's kind of um, uh, wrapped up in that and, his, and like Prometheus, for instance. What makes that a shit prequel is the fact that it loses all of what made the original one like, valuable and, and good to watch. If you're talking about Alien... The, the horror film tropes, you know, that, that Ridley Scott kind of mastered. It was reduced in something like Prometheus and the other one, Covenant, two little beats to hit. I think what makes a bad prequel, prequel is forgetting what made the original film good and then trying to make something totally different. When you lose sight of what it was about that thing that you did 20 years ago that was great, and then you try and build it again, destined for failure this is a very specific one with prometheus and covenant though because that's a director not only revisiting an old property i just referred to the film as property i feel dirty but it's you know it's them not only going back to um to an idea that they had 30 years ago um but it's also going back and doing a prequel as well and the biggest danger with prequels that doesn't affect sequels is that a prequel can damage the original yeah. Because when you then go back and watch the original, the context for everything that's taking place uh, in that film, is in the original, is, is readjusted and like damaged. Like I was talking last week about how I, can't, I don't find Vader scary anymore because all I see is whiny Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. The worst prequels just know what you as the audience member already know to create dramatic irony, like fucking winking at the audience. Um, a, a really bad example of that would be... Um, Obi-Wan and Anakin in episode two and Obi-Wan says, why do I think you're going to be the death of me? And it's like, yeah, and that, but that's like, no, the, that's but it's awful, isn't it? Because it's the, f- it's the only way that they can play with, with what's already there. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit like fourth wall pushing, isn't it? It's a bit like, yeah, actually it is a little bit. I hadn't thought of it quite like that. Yeah. It's a nod to the audience. It's like, I, I hate that in, um, in those films because it's like, everyone stop what they're doing and let's just pause a little minute and then pat each other on the back in the cinema and realize that we're watching a film and uh. and you know that moment's coming like we're going to see that if if solo isn't done well yeah we're going to see that like the first time he sees the millennium falcon and they'll be looking at you know like when he's a kid uh. they talked about him seeing it like as a kid and knowing that it was his destiny or something it's like why do we have to turn han into the fucking chosen pilot for that why like do you know what i want to see I want to see, I want to see our expectations completely subverted, and because he wins that from Lando in a Sabat game. Yeah. Okay. And what I want is, is Lando to be throwing it on the table and Han not even to give a shit. Mm. 
He's like, oh, I don't want that fucking old thing. Like that would be to to see him fall in love. Yeah. with that ship would be really cool so the difference is what makes sense in the story and what makes sense for the audience because as soon as you lose track of what makes sense in the story and you focus on the audience then you know that's not an enjoyable cinematic experience anymore no not at all um, and that's one of the things the good the good prequels subvert the expectation of what you already think you know so for example if we were to look at the Star Trek reboot which is a prequel takes place before um, the first one the, yeah, um, it takes place before the original Star Trek series is supposed to yeah. you know that uh, Kirk and Spock are best friends yeah. and you're expecting to see that friendship for the first time and then meet and yet you get your expectation completely subverted yeah. because Spock and Kirk hate each other when they first meet each other okay. which, no one, which you don't expect coming and then it makes everything fresh it's like okay now I know where they have to go how is that going to unfold in front of my eyes? <laughs> Spock v. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> the gore. One of them's got a net and a trident. <laughs> Have I told you about my sad, um, my sad Star Trek story? So I went up to the Edinburgh Film Festival in, I think it was 2009, because I had a film uh, that I worked on was in there. Yeah. Um, and I, I told the crew I wasn't going, and then at the last minute I decided to go. And it was my first film festival, so I didn't know that you needed passes and stuff like that. Right. So um, the producer was sort of saying, oh, I'll try and sneak you in, kind of as and when I can. Um, and I got there, and they couldn't sneak me into anything. So I oh, went shit. to the multiplex cinema next to where the film festival was <laughs> oh, and watched Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen, oh. followed by Star Trek, which was amazing. So yeah, that was one man double bill there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah just with dream, my, my single popcorn. Yeah. But I went all the way to the film festival and then ended up watching Revenge of the Fallen and Star Trek. Amazing. But that is a great prequel. Yeah. That is possibly one of the best prequels. Yeah, okay. There you go. That would be on my list. I, well, I mean, I enjoyed that film, but I didn't bring with it the knowledge of, of Star Trek that you did. So for me, it was like... Oh, brilliant. Did okay. it still work though? Because oh, you, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I loved it because it was a decent action film. That's something that Star Trek um It's not really known for. Exactly. In general. Yeah. yeah. Um so I think yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think that's a really good example of a prequel. I think a lot of people would also agree that Godfather Part Two. Yeah. Which is a sequel and a prequel at the same time. Quantum. Or, or, or is it a sequel <laughs> that just has flashbacks? No, it's a, it's it's a sequel with flashbacks, isn't it? It's a... S fuck. Oh, my God. Shit, what is it? I also say, like, good prequels, they can take place in the same world, but they don't even have to follow the same story. So you don't have to see the same characters. Yeah. But you So, for example, Fantastic Beasts is a prequel because yes. it takes place before all the Harry Potter stuff. The reason why prequels exist... Or, well, this is largely true today, but the reason why prequels exist now... Is so that you can refresh the franchise when you've run out of story to tell. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you go back and then, you know, you can get people to form queues outside the cinema again. Godfather 2, yeah, that's an amazing point. It is massively um, a sequel that's, that's set largely bef before the action of the first film. And what a movie, by the way. I, I love Godfather 2. De Niro in that, in the whole performance in Italian. He's nailed it. Give a shit, mate. He's too good. So what else? What else are you on? Uh, Would I say is a good prequel? Yeah, uh, X Men First Class. 
Yeah, that's a good show. These are all quite late, to be fair. Yeah. I would also say Batman Begins. Is that a prequel? Is it a reboot? Is it a prequel? No, see, it's tough. It does exist before, because the majority of it takes place as origin story. Yeah. It takes place before all the films that existed. Ooh, that's so it's a tough technically one, a prequel. Is it? And again, the same would be said with Casino Royale as well. They sit in the same reboots because they're kind of reboots but well i think if it's a reboot you have to kind of like refresh things back to that film and then kind of start again i don't think you can class a reboot a, a reboot as a as a prequel technically do you know what i mean okay uh, because it starts its own sort of timeline from from then on um whereby you can then create a prequel to it but i think it kind of like uh draws a line in the sand there so i think that um like casino royale Batman Begins can't be classed as prequels, but they can be classed as uh, reboots for the franchise. What's your worst? What's the worst prequel that you've got? Uh, for me, any like anything in the Alien franchise that has that has occurred since, say Alien Three. Ridley <laughs> Scott said that. I like Alien Three. So do I. I mean, it is shit though. It's not. It's probably my favourite. No. Yeah. Seriously, my, I like all. The thing is, I like all of them. Well, I like those three. Ridley Scott has said that he thinks hey, it's time to move away from the xenomorph in the Alien franchise. I'm like, no, it's time to go back to the xenomorph in the Alien franchise. Yeah. Like, you failed with Covenant just because you've forgotten how to make horror. Yeah, and trying to just tie up this pseudo spiritual. Oh, it was just. I see. I, I maybe he's maybe he sees it as. Um, providing a more kind of mature story, um, you know, moving away from a straight oh, genre film. Loves little fingers. <laughs> Lindelof. Lindel fingers. Lindel fingers. Um, you know, because Prometheus is has grander designs than just creating a floating haunted house in space like Alien did, and getting twelve people and just cutting them up. Right. Prometheus is sort is referencing. Shelley and stuff like that so it has grander designs but you know it's still a schlock like faux sci-fi horror film so I think you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hire better talents <laughs> and spend a lot longer on something like that if you want to make um, if you want to make that work I don't know why but I've just managed to sum up um, Covenant as a Hathaway song <laughs> <laughs> what is God? David, don't hurt me. Don't, oh I don't know why that came. Sorry. We need a beat, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> what is God? David, don't, don't hurt me. me. Don't, don't hurt me. me. Is it you? Calm down, Ridley. There's parts of um, Covenant that totally dragged, right? It's like the action just stopped uh, and, it's, and a kind of different film took over. And then like, the characters just walked off out of the frame and you were left there like twiddling your thumbs looking at each other. And, you know, that's a, I think that's just a lack of, lack of understanding about why the people are in, why the audience have turned up to see that film, you know? They haven't come, they haven't come to, you don't go to like a Ridley Scott uh, alien movie to learn about um, that kind of, those highbrow concepts such as uh, what created life and... Is God dead? And what, what the concept of God is and challenging shit like that. Like... That's your fan base? What? No. Like, fan base is, um, you know, horror fans 
and and people wanting to you know be taken on a on a roller coaster. So, you know, it failed in that respect for me as a horror film. And it's a shame because Ridley Scott he knows how to shoot horror. Like if you go back and watch Alien, um, it's like beat perfect. He knows how to m take an audience and set them up uh, to feel frightened. He'll always create like a false uh, scare to prep the audience so that when they, um, let's say like an alien, the cat jumps out when she's trying to like hunt for the thing and everyone's like, oh, fuck, it's the cat. Um, I, I, a well, well-trodden horror trope, right? But this is like, what, 79? Yeah, like late 70s. So in that lull, when you kind of thank yourself that you didn't see something scary, he knows that that's actually setting you up for the real fright, which happens like a lot, like quite close to that moment. So he knows that, you know, and he's and he's um, and he's and he's a master at doing that. He's totally just like just sack that off. Like that scene in the um, in Covenant, like the shower scene at the end. Where's any of the setup to that? Like, where first of all, who cares about those two characters having a shower? Secondly, where's the cinematic like technique, like the embodiment of of how to scare people? Um, where are those horror tropes? Like, where's the false scare there? There's, n there's none of that because it's a kind of addendum to that film. It's like the main drama is finished. Um, it's almost like a post or mid-credit sequence. It totally doesn't belong in that film at that point. You know, it's a mess. And so, you know, he, he kind of, for me, forgot those like techniques that he helped pioneer back in the day. Or maybe not helped pioneer, but... Leading on to sequels then, what would you say are the ingredients for a good sequel? There's a couple of different types of sequel, right? Like um, the first type is a basic rinse and repeat. So you take the formula and you pretty much like offer the same film. Rocky? Like Rocky, exactly. Terminator 2, I'm thinking of. If you don't, yeah, if you don't swap the characters round. Yeah, but it's the same things happen, don't they? The only, the only real differences are there's just more people in that group in the second film, right? And obviously with like fucking better, bigger budgets and, and better set pieces, but it's still pretty much like beat for beat, the, the same like story being told. Uh, Evil Dead 2, which is almost like frame for frame, a, a remake of Evil Dead, but mainly because he came back with a, with a real budget for the first time, you know, Sam Raimi. El Mariachi as well, you know what I mean? I, that took me a long time, before I knew who Robert Rodriguez was and the the history and story of it. I couldn't put El Mariachi and Desperado together. He's mm. like, it's kind of a sequel, but it's a remake, but yeah. it's kind of not. But they are two different films, right? Yeah. So that's one, like rinse and repeat, use the same formula, the same kind of narrative beats, but either make it bigger and better because you've been awarded a bigger budget or maybe do something different with it, a couple more, a couple of different characters or set pieces. Secondly, there's like con the continuation of the original story, that kind of sequel. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, in that respect. Then you've got a, a kind of break from traditional narrative structure because there's a bridge between two films that might last, you know, one or two years. When one film ends, you have to wait for the next film to come out to, to like, resolve something. So there's that kind of continuation of the story. And then there's, there's extending the, the universe. So the third, the third type of sequel is one that builds on it, but is neither like a rinse and repeat copy of it, nor the second act in a drama, like Aliens. 
Okay. The Aliens series of films, right? There's a relatively thin thread that connects them together. Well, Zellan Ripley connects them all together, doesn't he? To a point, yeah. It's a continuation of her story. And The Matrix, where by you've got, I guess, Neo's like journey throughout them. The Matrix trilogy was an interesting failure. Remember how hyped we were for those films? No. I was, we were hyped for The Matrix because they had the best marketing campaign of any film I've ever seen. Yeah, that was good. It was just the one trailer that w- didn't give anything away and just had Lawrence Fishman saying, Unfortunately, no one can be told what The Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. No idea what we were going to see. Yeah, we did. No hint at what the kind of the twist or storyline was. Yeah. We all came out going, fuck me, that was awesome. Yeah. Obviously got excited for Reloaded 2, sorry, for Reloaded, came out and was like, so like the hype much. was just washing off me because I remember I think the first time I saw it I went back to my housemates and told them how amazing it was yeah and then the second time I went back and watched it I was like oh I, mm, I don't think it was that great and then reloaded was I realized at the time it was I think what we were shocked by is we knew that the matrix was a at that we didn't realize there was going to be a trilogy so the matrix was a great film right up until neo flew off the ground yeah. no seriously at that moment everyone was like was it really just building him up to be Superman? That's a bit weird. There was such a great final act of the first Matrix film and a great payoff as well at the end. That's it. But they've really wrote themselves into a, into a corner with that because, you know, come the start of the second film, this guy, Neo, can fly around now. He sounds like overly powerful, <laughs> you know. He's going to fly, just fly around the place and just rip shit up and fly away from agents who can't fly because they've, they've created rules in the narrative that tells the audience that they can only walk around and dodge bullets quickly. Um, that said, the second Matrix film has, I think, like one of the best action sequences in cinema, which is that Chateau fight, which is choreographed to perfection. I, and I adore that fight scene. It's fucking brilliant. Mate. I need to go back and watch it again because I heard a conversation a few days ago about some people ripping the piss out of that fight. So I'll That have fight to, is yeah. brilliant. It's so good. The kind of fight sequences I love to watch. The guy that we're rooting for in the center of the frame, like sometimes behind him, and then you kind of like just follow him into, into battle. Also like on back and that kind of type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that with, you know, decent long cuts and without a lot of rapid, quick editing, which kind of disorients you as a, as a viewer. It's, I, I love the framing that they chose for that, that Chateau fight scene. But the best thing about it is it's a really empowering fight to watch. You're on his side and he's just walking around and he's kicking the shit out of people like left, right and center. Um, and you follow him everywhere he goes. Like you, you fl- like the camera tracks with him up or down on the, on the various levels. You feel tethered to that um, character. So it's amazing. Another great fight scene is um, is from Troy. What? You love it. Oh, what's, uh, what's his name? Brad Pitt and uh, Eric Banner. That fight scene is fucking brilliant as well. Really long takes. Um, you've got a lot, of, a lot of character in both of their actions. So Pitt as Achilles is uh, like overly confident, dancing around, looking away, whatever. Then Banner is full of rage in that narrative. Um, so he swings wildly and stuff like that. And, and long takes, or longish takes for a fight scene. Again, it's like it's really empowering to watch because you, you, you know, you kind of switch between both of those characters. 
but you're still following them. So yeah, I love that. But the shadow scene in The Matrix 2, mate, one of the best fight scenes shot on, on cinema. Hands down. What elements are there that go into Spider-Man 2 for you that make it... What movie? The greatest sequel. Because it's your favourite sequel of all time, isn't it? That was 10 years ago, but you still <laughs> said, it was a, you said it was a perfect sequel. The reason that film is so good is, one, you get a fuckload of character development okay. out of um, the central character. So it's like a continuation of the... Character. It's not a rinse and repeat. It's exactly. a continuation of the story. It builds on the first film, actually, right? Mm. So that's the, this is what makes it good. So it doesn't disregard the first film. The main character develops to a much greater degree as well. So in the first film, is an origin film where, you know, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's a pretty standard origin film for Peter Parker. But the second film took it, like, amplified that massively. At the same time, you were invested in the actions of the antagonist. So Alfred Molina's... Um, Dr. Octopus. Is that his name? Dr. Mm. Octopus? Really? Yeah, that's the <laughs> joke. Hell. That's the joke because he's Otto Octavius. Yeah, I know. And then yeah, they, make, they throw it just up the... shit to say out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but Dr. That's the Octopus. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's the your joke. bad guy. <laughs> oh no, it's Dr. Octopus. He's like, what, like a creepy fucking pervy old doctor with like handsy doctor. <laughs> he's like, he's got eight hands on me. <laughs> Get away from her, you perv! So you've got like his character. That is that is like the best example of what to do with um, guy called Otto Octavius gets four four mechanical limbs welded to his body. What are the odds? <laughs> you know, Marvel can't write a decent villain. They cannot. They have not yet written a decent villain. Maybe I think a little bit with the Winter Soldier. I was going to say Winter Soldier. I was also going to say Vulture. I thought. I thought yeah. Michael Keaton. Because if you think about like one of the, you're towards the end of Act Two, yeah, mm -hmm. in that film, and the penultimate scene takes place in a car. It's a dialogue scene between that, yeah, him that and was, Peter, and it's phenomenal. That was class. That scene. So I disagree. I think they've written him really well because his in, his intentions are so clear. You maybe subconsciously know that of course it's got to be the girl's dad. That's who the vulture is. Of course it's going to be. It's got to be somebody we know because mm. he's always away. Yeah. Yes, and it just makes dramatic sense. We've seen so many scenes of him talking about providing for his family. Mm -hmm. You know, you know that he's a businessman, and we've watched his journey. I think he's really well written. Yeah, I agree with that. Like he's well written, but that's that still wasn't as affecting as watching that uh, Alfred Molina like performance. And I think it's because Marvel were copying that, but um, that the villain in that second. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man film affected the drama, affected the narrative in a much, much greater way than um, what's it, Keaton's Vulture character. It felt like he was just in the background causing bad things to happen. Whereas the difference between that and Sam Raimi's uh, Doctor Octopus villain was that he drags like the narrative with him and when he's not, when he's absent from the frame you're thinking about the bad things that he's doing and what he's working on. I didn't get that with with Keaton's character. You know, it was like, what's he up to? He's got a, he's got a gang of like four mates. No, it wasn't about stuff. that, but it was. Collecting it was a, it things was a, and, yeah, right. That was about Peter trying to find out who he was. That was the, the driving force for that. He wasn't affecting the narrative in that way. Peter kept going back, 
Like Peter could have easily left him alone doing whatever the hell he was doing. Yeah, see, it's about that's, what, no, that's my it, point. Like. But it's about Peter interfering. Yeah, but if you he's, don't... He's chasing trouble. And I, no, I get the difference between... I get the difference between the two. Because vil- that, like, that's, that's a perfect villain. But he's got motivation. Now, Raimi film. Who does? Vulture. He's got the same level of motivation. Yeah, well, yes, he has motivation. Like, fine, tick. Well done. But, like... He's nowhere near the same level of like villainy um, as Melina's character. All right, so we talked about prequels and sequels, didn't we? <laughs> Look at me, I'm like a radio presenter. <laughs> All right, we're talking about prequels and sequels today. Tristan, what was your favourite prequel? Okay, so today we talked about prequels and sequels, didn't we, Tristan? And then you chose a reboot as your favourite prequel, so that doesn't count. So technically, we've offered nothing to anyone continue with your lives unchanged <laughs> and about continue we hope we've made your monday morning slightly easier okay so we'll, we'll we'll see you next time and don't forget to subscribe via loads of channels you can subscribe to us and other podcast likers on simply syndicated which you can find in the feature provider section of itunes you can subscribe to us on youtube if you like us and you know somebody else that might then please tell them about the show let us know your top five best prequels and sequels in the comments section All right, see you next week.